Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, your host. With us today is military author, game designer, and the editor of Strategy Page, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us today is columnist, author, and a Strategy Page associate editor, retired Colonel Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Talk a little bit today about uh, how Iran has gone uh, a metal too far. Uh, Jim, you want to get us started off this morning? Yeah, our latest report on Iraq the other day, uh, I was forced, as it were, not necessarily against my will, but to basically uh, go in and look at all the little things that have been happening in Iraq and Syria, which are linked in many ways, and Turkey, which, of course, is dealing with the Kurdish uh, their Kurdish separatists, PKK, etc., uprising, and of course Iran. And what a, what what hit me, <clears throat> as it were, as I was going over the the piece, you know, before uh, sending it in, uh, was that Iran is losing all over. I mean, let me let's point out the way. First of all, in Iraq, Iraq, the the Iranians believe that since the uh, Shia Arab majority in Iraq were able to get themselves empowered. I mean, they're basically running the government. They have 60% of the population, and their votes are counted, maybe sometimes twice, but they don't really need that because they do have, for the first time uh, in I, I, centuries, uh, the Bashi probably ever, because the Sunnis have always dominated that area. Mosul, until the uh, 1920s, was part of Turkey proper, not the empire, but Turkey. It was taken away after World War One because the Allies didn't want Turkey to get back oil. Uh, Kemal had not actually implemented his entire, you know, reform, secularization, as it were, of Turkey. So basically, they felt, hey, these Turks are always coming back, and the last thing we want them to have is a lot of oil. Um, but uh, but Baghdad, which was the, which is which was always basically a, a Sunni city, a very wealthy Sunni city. It's where most of the you know, most of the uh, educated uh, Sunnis, the merchant families, uh, they lived and they thrived. Um, over the that years, Shia moved in, especially once oil was discovered, because there was more work. And Sunnis are educated; they're going to be the bosses, you know, not not the not the not getting your hands dirty. Um, but the area, present day Iraq, um, was primarily. A, a Shia majority. The Sunnis always denied that, but you know, when we got in there, we were able to, you know, basically uh, get a better sense of how many people there were and what their what their uh, religious preferences were. It was clear that the earlier CIA estimates were that the Shia were indeed a majority, um, and that uh, this could cause problems. The West, especially the United States, ignored this problem. Um, uh, about the animosity between Shia, Sunni, and Iranians. Because another problem, which again is not politically correct to report, is that the Iranians really despise the Arabs. Uh, I mean, we <laughs> you talk about racism in the United States. I mean, people who haven't been overseas, especially the East Asia, you know, or the Middle East, have no idea what real racism or you know, massive pervasive racism looks like. Um, Soldiers go over there, you know, get a taste of it, uh, but the general public and especially the, the journalists, you know, just ignore it. The problem is that this is backfiring on the Iran Iranians. They expected that they could strong arm, if necessary, 
the uh, the uh, Iraqis, the Shia Arab government in Iraq, to basically be their, you know, satellite, uh, their subordinate. Uh, the Iraqis are pushing away from that, uh, and it, and now the Iranians do have a large chunk of the uh, PMF, the the People's Mobilization Forces, the the uh, you know the militia, the local militia forces. That Iran played a key role in organizing in in late uh, 2014 after the the ISIL over in Mosul and a lot of you know Anbar and a lot of northern Iraq, um, but now they just uh, just the, uh, two weeks uh, two weeks ago uh, the government literally made the PMF part of the army. That means they just aren't bunch basically theoretically patriotic you know Iraqis organized and armed by their brotherly, you know, neighbor, Iran, they are part of the army and they are subject to army discipline. Now, this is where you're going to get some scary headlines in the future because there's already been a couple of run-ins. There was a recently, again, again, in the last month, there was a run-in between the presidential guard and uh, some of these uh, pro-Iranian, you know, PMF units and, and guys were, and there were casualties. Um, and we're probably going to see more of this because the government, as well as the Sunnis in Anbar, they still have most of the Sunnis in Anbar. Basically, again, rallied to the government to get rid of ISIL. I mean, they did this in 07 or 08 uh, to get rid of Al Qaeda. Uh, they didn't learn the lesson, <laughs> and then, then of course, an even worse, a harsher form of uh, Islamic uh, radicals came in uh, as ISIL, which is basically led by the remnants of the uh, the uh, 08 uh, Iraqi, uh, you know, Al Qaeda. Um, and they're basically done with it. And the big problem out there, uh, there's still some ISIL hiding out in the in, in the desert, um, is the payback attacks. Not so much by the Iranian-backed PMF, but by the the Sunni tribes who have scores to settle. A lot of people basically collaborating uh, with ISIL to to run that area for four years, uh, three years. Uh, and that's that's a payback type situation. Be that as it may, the uh, PMF were supposed to be withdrawn from uh, Anbar as soon as the defeat of ISIL was declared. Now, <laughs> the the truth is, there are still several thousand ISIL, you know, mainly in Anbar, uh, in in in, in uh, eastern Syria, along the Euphrates, or in the desert near the Euphrates River Valley. That goes up from uh, Iraq through Syria into Turkey, um, and um, and north of uh, of Baghdad, you know, in Kirkuk province and what have you. And two things are happening here. One, the uh, apparently the Iraqi, the uh, the uh, the PMF Iranian units, as it were, have been ordered to uh, stonewall, to delay, not pull out of Anbar. Um, and to uh, basically follow the orders of Iran, not the Iraqi government, when it comes to trying to suppress the ISIL uh, threat that still exists. Now, the, the, to, to make things even muddier, I mean, nothing is clean in the Middle East. The Turks are on the warpath, as we reported, you know, in our Syria coverage. Uh, and they basically want to uh, have, a, have a buffer zone on their border, with their entire border with uh, with uh, Syria, uh, and, and and the eastern part of that border is 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 basically uh, occupied by pro-American Kurds, mainly 
the SDF, uh, and 2,000 American troops. So there's a problem there. Um, but the Kurdish North, uh, at least most of it, uh, the border up there, has the, uh, the Iraqi Kurds, who have been, over the last two decades, remarkably cooperative with the Turks. And the Turks recognize that. So they're not leaning on the Turks up in northern Iraq as much, but they are sending troops in, both in the northeast where the uh, Syrian, and not the Syrian, the Iranian, Turkish, and Iraqi borders meet, um, and in the northwest, Sinjar, that Yazidi, uh, that's basically a, a heretic uh, uh, Kurdish, uh, a Kurdish faction, heretic in terms of religion, they basically study a basically have a form, form of Islam, which is basically pre-Muslim, and, and they're generally considered heretics by everybody. The Kurds never cared. Uh, I mean, that, that's where, the problem with the, the advantage of the Kurds is, yes, most of them are Muslim, but they don't take it as fanatically, I'm not talking about seriously, but as fanatically as the Arabs do. And that's a big difference. Uh, they have sent troops about 10 kilometers into Iraq, but that's the part of Iraq that is now controlled by the government, namely by the PMF militias, including a lot of the Shia militias. And now the Iraqis, uh, the government, uh, protested this because the Turks have done this before. But the Turks note that in any area where the, the Turks, the Kurds were in control, uh, they could basically, well, let me put it this way. The, the PKK, these are the Turkish Kurdish separatists. Um, uh, the leftists, whatever, these guys are, are a nasty piece of work. A lot of people have been killed finding them. Um, they were never allowed to set up a major base in northern Iraq. I mean, the Kurds would sort of tolerate the, 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 F the Turkish F-16s bombing them, sending in, you know, special operations troops to maybe collect, uh, uh, you know, uh, information from the bombed sites and what have you. It was all fairly discreet, not large scale. But now, this time, since the, you know, in October 2017, the, uh, the, the, the Iraqi government has settled the dispute that had been going on for years over Kukur province, which had traditionally been, you know, Kurdish, but that's another story. Um, they drove the Kurds out uh, with a surprise offensive, again, led by the Iranian, uh, you know, PMF militias. So that bothered the Iraqis because they felt like they were being manipulated, you think. Uh, you know, by Iran. And one thing, Arab, uh, well, Arab, Iraqis in general, whether they be Arab, Kurdish, Sunni, or Shia, they do not want to be played, as it were, I could use a more colorful term, but, you know, uh, by Iran. Uh, and that's exactly what the Iranians are trying to do. Now, at the same time, the Americans are pointing out, and, and, the, and the Iraqi government has acknowledged this, you know, we were too hasty in 2011 where well, we wouldn't sign the Status of Forces Agreement, and all the American troops left, except for the ones who could get diplomatic cover, which was a small number. Um, and they regret that, and they're going to change that. Well, of course, they have, after 2014, they signed the Status of Forces Agreement, but we were reluctant to send a lot of troops in there. We have about 5,000 now, uh, and, and some of them are coming home. Um, but they realize now the problem was not the United States. It was Iran. Uh, well, actually, they got two problems. They got the radical Sunnis, Al-Qaeda and now ISIL, and they've got Iran, which has always been considered the big bully in the neighborhood. Um, that's why the Arabs tolerated the, the Turks, more or less, uh, in a lot of the Middle East, because they basically kept the, the Iranians out. At least the Turks were, 
uh, Sunni, and they were respectful of, you know, like the Shia, and they basically took care of the holy places, you know, the, the Mecca and Medina for the Hajj and what have you. But otherwise, they leave people alone as much as possible. The Iranians don't do that. They want to get into a place, and they will basically really take charge and not be gentle about it. And now that is not getting in the headlines. The Iraqis, I guess the Saudis came up. The Saudis just are resuming a lot of, um, of how should I put it, uh, economic relationships, which were severed in 1990 when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. Uh, that in fact, they just started uh, letting their airlines from Saudi Arabia uh, commercial service resume into uh, into into uh, Iraq, and they're trading and they're talking about investing and what have you. This really ticks off the Iranians. But the Iraqi Shia Iraqi government are sitting down and talking, and imagine what everybody's saying is, "Look, we're Arabs. You know, twenty percent of the Saudi population is Shia. They do okay." Uh, all right, Bahrain's a problem, but, you know, we're not slaughtering them like the Iranians do with their, uh, you know, uh, Arab minority. Uh, we don't despise them. They are Arabs. There are religious differences, but you got this new crown prince who's letting women drive, letting them walk around with their faces showing. Uh, he's liable to have a, you know, a, a, you know, a backlash on that because this sort of thing was tried in the 60s and 70s by one of his predecessors. And it didn't work out too well. But anyway, the um, you know times time has changed, and and more Saudis are willing to back up this reform attitude, and that means the uh, Arabs who are running you know the Shia Arabs who are running Iraq can basically believe the Sunnis uh, that you know they they will get a fair their deal from the Sunnis, because after 1990, the, the, the Saudis basically openly told the Americans, don't invade, you know, we need a Sunni dictator there, I mean, that's another reason why he didn't get reported in the West, um, and, and we could arrange it, and they thought they could buy, you know, enough people to go against this Saddam, but Saddam was a wily SOB, that's how he stayed in power, just like the, uh, the Assads in Syria, um, and uh, now they've given up on a, on a, on a Sunni strongman. Uh, to run Iraq, uh, that damn democracy, once it gets in there, it becomes like a, you know, a permanent condition, uh, whether it works or not. Um, so they they have senior officials going up there and basically sitting down with the Iraq, say, let's, let's make peace, let's make money, uh, and let's keep Iran out. Uh, now, Iran and Turkey are a problem because the, uh, the, uh, the Turks will not listen to and they, well, they never did listen to Iran. They've been enemies for centuries. Um, and at the same time, uh, Iran is basically in Yemen is not getting the kind of support they hope to get, uh, you know, from uh, from Russia uh, and Turkey, uh, and uh, and they're, and they're losing there because the uh, a lot of the the co the the, uh, the rebel coalition, which is led by the uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 Shia Arab minority in in Yemen. Is falling apart. Uh, the the Arabs are not willing to take the basically not willing to take the personnel launches. That's what affluence does to you. In the old days, they just go in there, take their licks. You know, a lot of martyrs, a lot of glory, and it'd be over. But it's been grinding on, and uh, but the rebels are losing, and the Iranians can't stop it. They, they just recently, uh, you know, fired seven ballistic missiles, and 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 none of them, you know, hit a target. 
uh, those that, that came close were knocked down by Patriot missiles, which they, they've been doing regularly. Not one has gotten past the Patriots. Uh, I mean, people, some people point out, well, yeah, the Patriots didn't get this one. Yeah, but that one, you know, uh, uh, you know, basically wasn't going to hit anything, anything of any value. Uh, that's what the Israelis use in their uh, Iron Dome system. And now I don't know if, if we've developed a software patch that does that in, you know, in your, in, in, uh, you know, in Saudi Arabia. But as Austin pointed out to me, you know, our patriots are getting a lot of practical experience. And it, and it bothers the Iranians no end that a lot of their Arab opponents, you know, uh, in, in Arabia have patriot systems. And they're learning a lot on how you use it. And they're getting confident. Uh, not that they can basically say, you know, bring it on, Iran, Iran, because you, you get, they got plenty of missiles. They could basically saturate, um, you know, the Arabian uh, targets with hundreds of missiles, and and the Patriots wouldn't be able to handle all of them. But the point is that the uh, the uh, Arabs are not the kind of pushovers that the Iranians had always hoped they would be, and now they're not only pushing back militarily, fighting each other, which is what's going on in in Yemen and Iraq, but they're also, you know, stopping the kind of weapons that the, uh, that, that the uh, Iranians are threatening Israel with. Now, Israel, that's another thing. The, 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 uh, the Iranians are in Syria, and they're saying, we're going to destroy, you know, Israel, but they're getting no allies. I mean, they're getting some, you know, uh, people, people saying, well, okay, well, especially the Turks, Turks just ran a thing. Uh, Erdogan, the the new Sultan of Turkey, but, but that's another story. Uh, that uh, you know, they're they're he's they're gonna they want to lead a crusade, not a crusade, but a a, 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 a coalition uh, to destroy Israel. Now that's mostly talk, and it's mostly for Iran. It's meaningless. The uh, the Russians are apparently still telling the Turks, look, we'll back you with this Kurdish thing, but we're not going to take on the Americans, and we're sure as I'm not going to take on the. Uh, the Israelis. And one reason for that is a large chunk of the Jewish population uh, in Israel is Russian. Uh, the Russians you know, easing up and letting their Jews out of Russia uh, in the 80s. And now a lot of them were Jews, but if you claim any connection, in other words, if you were a, a, a you know, a, 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 a train car Jew, that's the joke, you know, a lot of non Jewish, uh, you know, uh, non-religious Jews say that it doesn't make any difference if you say you're not religious, you're not a Jew. If, if, if the Semites do what the Nazis did again, they'll look at this uh, one drop, you're Jewish, you're dead. Um, uh, but, you know, the, uh, the, the Russians have benefited a lot from the, you know, the Jewish connection they now have uh, with Israel. And they do the, they, they do the math. I says if, you're, if you count up, you know, or who's got what? In terms of technical proficiency and, and economic power and brain power and willingness to do deals, uh, Israel's the, the guys to be with. They still want to maintain some some clout, as it were, with the Arab countries. But they found uh, during the Cold War, which is like ancient history now. But I was rather much I was much younger again, and even it was headlines in the United States where the Russians got into the Middle East. Uh, and the Arabs played hardball. They cut them off. They basically try and work them for everything they could. And the you know the the Russians never forgot that. Now they're trying to get back in there, but as we point out in strategy page, there's no more easy credit. Uh, you got to pay cash. Uh, we'll, we'll send you any kind of weapons you want, 
but it's on the battle and uh, otherwise, you know, no, no goodies. Um, the Russians basically know who they can work with in that situation. So the Iranians make a big, you know, noise about we're going to we're going to basically have a coalition to crush Israel, but they're getting no allies. The Turks are basically telling them, uh, all right, we'll say this, but as a practical term, we are not going to take on the Israelis. Uh, if you Arabs want to get, if you want to talk the Arabs into doing it and getting killed in the process, like they've done so many times before, hey, go for it. You know, we don't care for the Arabs either, but we're not as open about it, you know, as you guys are. Plus, we're not religious fanatics. I mean, they're, Erdogan is using Islam. He's that is not a you know the you know the kind of uh, conservative Islam you see in Saudi Arabia, Iran, uh, and and even Jordan, for example. Um, so. Uh, overall, the Iranians are not winning. We thought they were. They thought they were back in late uh, 2017. But then, bingo, there was massive uh, nationwide demonstrations by people who the, uh, the religious dictatorship in Iran thought were their allies, thought were their base. Sound familiar? Uh, bingo, all of a sudden, they were out there demonstrating, literally saying, get rid of the religious government, the dictatorship. It's technically a democracy, but the, the senior religious officials have, by the current constitution, a veto power over government decisions and even against who can run for office. Um, and the Iranians are fed up with that. So the Iranian government, granted, they have their own radical wing, you know, the the uh, the, uh, the uh, republic, the, the, what do you call it, the, uh, the guards, the, uh, uh, the IRGC. Um, and... Uh, and these are a corrupt, basically, group of uh, fanatics who are considering themselves a power unto themselves. And as long as they, they make a mess overseas, which is expensive, which most Iranians understand, uh, they're justified in doing whatever the heck they want. But even the, the uh, senior uh, religious leaders are not so keen about that anymore. Uh, the IRGC, the, the, you know, the, the, the fanatics as were in the Iran, Iranian government, they get a lot of money. They steal a lot of money. Uh, uh, they, they, they start talking about, you know, we will keep, you know, religious government going in uh, in Iran. And they certainly, the beep, 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 you know, even if we have to, you know, uh, do something about some stray, you know, senior clerics who don't see our, things are anymore. So they have an internal problem all of a sudden. That was embarrassing. But then they find out, you know, once the, the neighbors got a scent of that blood, uh, all of a sudden, all the resentments of the Iranians in early 18, 2018 popped up, and now they're basically losing, uh, and they're trying not to admit it, uh, and that gets interesting. So there we are. Uh, as, I, as I put out earlier, it was a medal too far. They medal and they medal and bingo. Suddenly, it's all rolling back on it. So, uh, overall analysis is, is is spot on. The Iranians have – it's not new that the Iranian government, the Khamenei's government, the one established by the Ayatollah Khamenei and his cohorts after the 1979 uh, revolution removed uh, the Shah, uh, meddles uh, with its neighbors, uh, its enemies uh, perceived, and enemies' potential. I understand that there are instances where there are, are, are nations and groups that didn't know they were on the Khamenei uh, uh, hit list, and that uh, happened in uh, South America. 
uh, in the 80s and uh, and 90s, the relationship to uh, terror attacks on and crime, prim primarily on is Israeli targets, but uh, but not solely. And there, by, by the way, some of those incidents, no, there's no hard empirical uh, uh, evidence uh, connecting Iran. There are in several of the more notor notorious cases, but there, there they were. And there they are, too, if, if Venezuela, not that being uh, connected to Maduro's government gets you uh, anything, but the uh, Iranians were interested uh, in uh, Chavez, uh, who died and Maduro replaced him because, uh, heavens, uh, Venezuela has uh, uh, 300 billion barrels of oil reserve, and the Iranian, one of the things they like to play is uh, their, their oil price volatility, particularly on the high side. So having a relationship with a, with a wild uh, South American dictatorship that uh, had that has that kind of of uh, oil or has those kind of oil reserves uh, is uh, perceptive uh, perceptually to their uh, to their advantage now I'm, I went, went to South America for a, for a purpose it's because Jim pretty well covered what are the most uh, important aspects of Iranian meddling Iraq Syria uh, Yemen, most uh, most noticeable and certainly the most volatile, because uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran are fighting a proxy war, shadow war, in Yemen. The Saudis' perception is that's our back door. And the Iranians' perception is Yemen's Saudi Arabia's back door. Jim talked about the uh, racism uh, 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 present. It's it's not new. You can. Uh, look, I'll do this from a contemporary angle, even though you can find the, the evidence uh, his, historically. Uh, Iranian expatriates, American Iranians, will be quite frank about the the the, the history uh, of it. Uh, with the look, Iran, Iranistan, it's Aryan, Arianistan. They're the Aryans, and they're. 500 BC, they regarded the Semitic Arabs and the Jews, Semites, as inferiors. They're uh, ethnic inferiors. They're cultural inferiors, and that that's still that's still present in uh, contemporary Iran. And the Arabs living uh, next door to them know that that's that's the case, and they resent it. And they've had reasons to resent. Now, does 500 BC uh, control what goes on in the 21st century AD? It doesn't control it, but it does affect it. In that there are these these con these con continuities, and that's what Jim was talking about. As uh, it's uh, and he's saying racism. There's there, there's a cultural clash there too. The Iranians see themselves as more developed better educated, uh, more technologically competent, which goes back to Jim's point, which a lot of that is, uh, you know, not supposed to talk about it, but yeah, you can, you can say that, hey, the Iranians have uh, legitimate accomplishments uh, to, com uh, to, to, to stand on. But now you've got UAA and the uh, Saudis and other, some of the small 
some Arab states uh, developing uh, those skill sets uh, with uh, their advanced, uh, well, short-range anti-ballistic missiles. That's what the Patriot Pac-3 is, but also their, uh, their air forces. Uh, Jim wrote something, actually he's written this several times, about uh, Saudi uh, Air Force experiences in Yemen. Uh, yes. Some of the media reports that, well, they missed, and uh, even the smart bomb went in the wrong place. All right, that's, that's, that's correct. At the same time, they've gotten a lot of experience in running an air campaign. Yes, the United States Air Force and contractors have helped them, but a lot of the burden of waging this air war, a lot, let's, let's say a lot, a lot, that is a way to put it, really, the, the, the Saudis, uh, Saudi pilots, and the uh, the planners associated with them, they've done it. Now, they, yes, they've had access to their allies, U.S., I'm sure Israeli as well, and the you know, Emiratis have all kinds of, uh, of access to uh, tar uh, targeting information. But they're gaining experience, and... This is what's why Jim says the Iranians are noticing that. Well, good. I, I thought it was interesting, too, though, that Jim brought up the possibility of uh, Iranian saturation missile attack. That's something that Iran flashes every so often. It's not new. They began doing that in the 1980s, uh, saying, uh, well, we'll just blow you, you, know, you uh, Arabs on the other side of the Persian Gulf uh, away with our modern weapons. Uh, they did that. Um, for what it's worth, I'll make another point to note how many times uh, uh, the, the Pentagon's uh, photos don't say Persian Gulf, but say Arab Gulf. There's a battle going on over the name uh, name right now. It's been traditionally the Persian Gulf, but Arabs have objected to that uh, for <laughs> maybe 150 years. Uh, on it, saying, uh, saying, you know, we we live on that body of of water uh, as well, and I, I I've seen that in in some of the Department of Defense uh, photos. That's not the only place uh, that uh, that crops up. It's a war that right now Iran still wins that name war, but uh, you can see the Arabs are are, are fighting back. Um, so to get back uh, get back to uh, Yemen. Uh, Iran apparently thought that they were going to roll in, in Yemen and that they were going to have Saudi Arabia's back door and ca catch Saudi Arabia and, and the, the Emiratis and Oman in a, in a bind. Uh, plus, if controlling uh, Yemen, they essentially set up a similar situation of being able to close off the Bab al-Mandab, the, in, the entrance from the Red Sea to the uh, in the Ocean, in the same way they threatened to uh, close uh, the Strait of Hormuz, which is uh, between uh, the UAE, Oman, and, uh, and, and Iran, which is and the, uh, going into the uh, uh, Indian Ocean. Uh, a lot of tanker traffic. That goes back to the playing the uh, threaten uh, to close off uh, oil tanker routes and, and spike the uh, price of oil. They used to do that a lot, as they uh, say many times on, on uh, well, for instance, Instapundit 
have you uh, hugged a fracker today? Uh, the American fracking revolution, and also what uh, all of the Canadians are uh, in on this, has 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 greatly uh, reduced the effectiveness of the of uh, the the Iranian, OPEC, and Russian uh, oil price uh, uh, manipulation game. But I'll, now I'll, I'll point out some other places too that Iran's meddling has not produced the uh, political and diplomatic uh, results they wanted or really increased its influence. What it's done is, is kind of well, the way, you know, with the picture Jim painted is a lot of its blowback on uh, on, on Iran with ticking everybody off. They, they've exploited uh, their uh, Ar Ar Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps and Al-Quds, their special forces, uh, and uh, intelligence terror terror arm uh, uh, Lebanese Shia communities in Africa and also in in in, in uh, South America. Uh, there are indications that they tried to pull the same in uh, Central America, but uh, we're not anywhere near as as as, as adept uh, at it. And use them as routes to both the intelligence sources or uh, scattered uh, scattered bases to uh, help, in some cases, Sunni uh, uh, extremist groups uh, rattle sub-Saharan African countries, uh, engage in criminal uh, act, uh, activities, and uh, serve as uh, a, a potential way to destabilize destabilize their enemies in Western Europe and North America and heaven forbid their potential enemies in East East Asia who depend on African resources now that sounds outlandish but the fact is then they've done it they haven't very been very successful at it but you can see the trace of them wanting to try it why well Go back to an attitude that Jim sketched, which is, uh, well, we can do this and we want to control it. They really do want to control it. And that, that's, that has not paid off. Now, there's one other place, too, that they've ticked off a lot of people. And Jim got to it right at the, at the end of his, uh, 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 of his analysis. That's back home. Their domestic situation is not. Uh, is brittle. Let's put it that way. They and maybe one reason they 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 meddle. I think it's one reason they want a, a nuclear weapons is because then they, they show their. I'm talking about the regime. There we're, we're big shots, kind of a North Korea um, analog uh, there, and there are some other analogs between the Khomeini regime and the Kim regime in North Korea. Uh, very different context, but there 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 is that uh, uh, there is. That, that similarity. Look back. Late 80s, early 90s, there were Iranians, so quote unquote, and they are, are moderates because they you know, they had experience in Western Europe and uh, U.S. or other parts of the world saying, hey, eventually this radical tide uh, will, will crest. Except it didn't. And that that, that was really uh, over over the desert storm time too when they uh, had the 
world and the Iranians were shocked by uh, the uh, success of, a, of the American uh, uh, high-tech warfare. But that didn't happen. That didn't. The, the moderation it didn't happen. They actually they started cracking down, and then the big threat comes is when a uh, real uh, moderate. Um, Ayatollah Khatami, that's right, Jim, uh, Jim and it, I mean, I don't have the, any of those, but the, the fellow who was also a scholar and had studied, uh, had a PhD, I believe, from a German university and like, and he ran and got over 70% of the vote and he wasn't supposed to. Uh, and he got reelected. Uh, so there, this is where the Iranian government practicing, I'm talking about the Khomeini's narrative warfare. See, see, we have a, a democracy. Well, except they don't. They have that religious council makes all the all, all the decisions. But here, here they had the exact kind, and the, and the man, the man's a cleric, he, uh, of of moderate, got elected, <laughs> sixty, uh, almost seventy percent of the vote. And, and then, of course, he got reelected. Then they changed the rules completely, which leads into the 2009 uh, Green Movement, sometimes Green Revolution, but Green Movement. I, you remember that? That's June 2009. Really, it comes out. Lots of demonstrations. Uh, not so many casualties. There were some, but there's also a, a split and some... Uh, some uh, uh, revolutionary guard corps uh, officers are 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 for this. It's almost an opening up and reform, except it doesn't happen. And yes, the Obama administration was very slow to uh, respond uh, respond to that. Got shut down. Then we go uh, forward to well, last year it happened again. It wasn't the, it wasn't as extensive as the uh, uh, as the uh, 2009 uh, uh, demonstrations and protests, but it's back, and the Ayatollahs know it. They know it, and uh, the, that, in some ways, how how do you forward uh, democratic reform within uh, uh, Iraq? It's a puzzle. But if to use uh, Jim's language, if the Ayatollahs aren't winning, uh, aren't aren't losing in Tehran, they're not winning. And that's, it's a, it's another, another problem for them. I think that pretty well covers it though. I mean, right. I, but we've been kind of around the world, haven't we, Jim? Oh, well, I ran it, so you got to chase him. Yeah. Right. You know, one of the interesting things that uh, happened to me at the start of the first Gulf War, uh, it was during one of my insane moments where I was teaching full time. Uh, one of my students was from Iran but he would introduce himself as being Persian because he wanted to make sure that, first of all, he didn't, you know, that there was still a bad taste about Iran and the, the hostage situation even 10 years later. But also he wanted to differentiate himself from the Arab students. So he was, he was Persian. <laughs> well, <laughs> so well, well, just, well, I'm sorry, Dan, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, I was, right. was going to say that, look, Persian comes from, their language, Farsi, Farsi, uh, and, and and the like, and that's the the route of that, as as I understand it, is that that is the way the Greeks described them, and of course it influences the Western Western nomenclature. But they they call themselves the Aryans, and 
that's and and you can see that in their literature. It's certainly the the the, the common common explanation for it. But I can I think that's funny that that your student student did that. He he obviously had reasons. So right. Yeah, and then as, as, right. I, as I put one last thing, as I pointed out in in some of our other coverage, the Iranians or the Persians, they were way ahead of anybody else in terms of military technology. They, for example, had plate armor. Uh, you know, 700 BC, uh, and they had they had the 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 what compound bow like the Mongols used, and right. they were basically unbeatable on the battlefield. So it's not they're just not blowing hot air. There is something to back it up, except now they they might have nukes, and that's that's a little different from plate well, armor and, and, and compound another, bows. Another another thing that we're good at when before they became antiquated was uh, chariot warfare. They made a big big, yeah. big deal out of it, and and that's you know, look the chariot wagon warfare armed wagon warfare like that it's it's still it's still a, a, a sophisticated uh operation and i'm not saying the the weaponry is but it, it to pull it off and of course by the fourth third century bc the age of the chariots over but they uh, that's something that the iranians were successful at in the First 500 years of the first millennium B, uh, BC. It, 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 I, I know the the attack is, hey, you guys are being historicists. This is old stuff, but it still shapes cultural uh, perceptions. And it's it's it's. I I, I am. I'll I'll tell a, a quick personal uh, anecdote, Dan, that in some ways complements this. Uh, without saying who this is, Ph.D., uh, uh, Iranian, long time uh, 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 in the United uh, United States, virulently anti-Khomeinist, didn't like uh, didn't like the, the Shah uh, uh, either. But in discussing the subject of of I, Iranian technical superiority over the Arabs, he'll, he'll get a little smile and he says. When do you want to start? Give me the year. And that is funny. But all right, this is a right. very intelligent, obviously, and the fellow, the fellow has, uh, he's got national, international recognition in his field. And I know several of his colleagues happen to be uh, Jordanian, Palestinian Arabs, who uh, also PhDs in this. So this is, this is, and they'll sit. I have not spoken with them on it, but I know that that he's that they talk about it. And he says, "Do you know when do you, when do you want to start? Uh, what give me the time frame?" And it's a, it's a wink, and because he knows the the same stuff uh, I know, and, and he ha he wants to have nothing to do with it. And that's why, and like a lot of immigrants to the United to uh, to, to the United States, they won't have anything to do with, it. but. The reason they won't have anything to do with it is because it complicates solving problems uh, in, in the well. In this case, it complicates solving problems everywhere, but certainly in the complicated Middle East. Right. Well, we'll wrap it up there, and uh, we'll talk to you, gentlemen, next time. Hopefully, we won't have uh, as long a break as we did this last time, and uh, we'll be back soon. All right. Bye, bye. guys. Bye.